Formula One. I'm addicted. The speed, the sounds, the excitement, all make me overdose on a natural high. It's like a rhythm, a, a poetry. It makes me feel so... I can't put it into words. CeeLo, help me out. Who can put this F1 poetry in motion? Poetry emotion, my addiction is overdosing on a natural high. Supplying the soul with that unmistakable mystical magical feeling that your money can't buy. Becoming a slave to the rhythm, there's no way that you can stop me now. I like to see you try. Cause I'm already long gone. Don't be scared for me, baby. Just blow me a kiss goodbye. I can't believe you'd rather stay behind than go beyond. Talk to me, baby. Tell me why. Society won't set you free to follow me. Programming your fear to fly. But best believe. I'ma breathe and break ground before I die. I know it's living, let live, but my love won't let me lie. Make me wanna do it. Whoa, that'll do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 94 of The Hornets Show for coverage of how dreamy Mr. Christian Horner is. He's so dreamy. I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lau, and I don't think that's actually the show. No, I thought we agreed no. that well, because of the fans, the Facebook. No, I, I'm, no I'm, I like uh, The Hornets. I mean, that's great, but I think. So welcome to The Hornets Show no, for coverage no, of Christian no, it's so the, dreamy. It's the, it's it's the, the F1 the, show, though. Yeah. Yeah, so let's, let's, that was the old let's still do the, the F1 show. Though. Oh, the, okay. For coverage of Nürburgring in Germany, I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And we had a, a proper action-filled race today. It was, it was not gimmicky, weird, you know, DRS and, and, and all that. It was, like, cool action, passing on track, some passes in the pits, but, like, some cool action today. So passing I, everywhere. I feel, I feel good about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was just on paper and actually watching a great, great race and... Really a lot of fun to see three different drivers from three different car manufacturers competing for the lead, all with very evenly matched cars, or at least appeared that way. Um, it would be very possible to say that the McLaren was the weakest of the three, but Hamilton was just so switched on that it, it simply didn't matter. Uh, absolutely brilliant to watch. But before we get into all that, which I'm sure we're going to have plenty to talk about, we did have some things going on leading up to the race, stuff like that. First of which is that the uh, ban on blown diffusers was banned, and uh, they were back for Germany. Right. So it, w- it was a little bit weird because uh, Silverstone, with the weather they had during practice and all that, um, and then the way the race unfolded, it was really hard to tell. Uh, there was no sort of good comparison data to say this is what the difference was with the diffusers and without the diffusers. Because of the temperatures and because of the weather and the running and all that, it was like not really clear to say. Uh, so there was the the expectation, I think, that, okay, well, the Red Bulls that had their, you know, brilliant, you know, qualifying capability and their brilliant fuel maps and the off-throttle diffusers and all this stuff, well, they're going to just, you know, leap back out ahead. And that's not what happened. Not even close. I mean, the Ferraris looked really strong in practice, uh, and then, uh, I mean, and then even into qualifying, uh, you know, the Red Bulls weren't weren't way slow or anything, but the Ferraris and McLarens were were right up there. Well, at least one McLaren. Well, yes. And uh, the other big thing that happened before the actual racing started was we found out, and it proved to be true, that uh, uh, Karun Chandok replaced uh, Yarno Truly in the Lotus, and you know. 
there was the press release reason of why this happened, and then there's also the real reason why this happened. Um, the press release reason being uh, Kroon Chandok um, is going to be racing in the Indian Grand Prix this coming year, and this was a good opportunity to get him in the car. Plus, it was an opportunity to get a different sense of feedback because Yarno's had trouble with power steering and getting feel for the car and all these kind of things. And I think the unofficial reason is that they were so sick of hearing Yarno truly whine. I think it was a little bit of a punishment slash nudge to say, hey, you are not irreplaceable here. You know, so maybe you need to think about how you can improve the feel as opposed to complain about the steering. See, I thought that too. But then they also, then just after that whole announcement, they, then they came out with a new contract for next year. Um, so... You know, with Friarno truly to stay at Lotus next year, right? So, as a driver, though, yeah. that part wasn't clear to me. Um, so, I, I mean, we've all, we've seen contracts, of course, change and things. You know, things happen. So, you wonder if this was part of the negotiation, if that was sort of the plan. Was okay, Yarno's going to be back again next year, and then he was holding out for something more money, different, whatever, more development. You know, who who knows what he was holding out for? More land for his vineyard or something. Yeah, and then and it sort of came down to calling a bluff of like, well, I'm not even going to drive this weekend. Or if they were like, oh, well, let's show you how valuable you are in this team. Hey, Karun, hey, come drive this car for the right, weekend. Right. And then after that, he was like, okay, fine, I'll do the deal. Or if he was sort of still trying to shop around, chop himself around to other teams and found there's nowhere else for him to go um, and, so, and so made the deal. So we don't know exactly what happened behind the scenes, but I thought um, similar to what we saw with Daniel Ricardo and Narain Karthikeyan. I mean, very similar. Um, as in the Indian driver coming in partly as a marketing thing and whatever, yeah. um, and, and how money is involved. Um, I, I give them, the, you know, the same credit uh, that we gave to, to HRT for, you know, oh, it wasn't that Yarno was sick or anything like that. I mean, I was sort of looking for something like that in the press release, and uh, and it was just like, nope, uh, Yarno's just not going to be in the car this weekend. Right, right. Uh, we're going to use our other guy, and that's all there was to it. Sure. And, I mean, you know, to Karun's credit, he was definitely off the pace of Kovalainen. But I guess, I mean, for most part, you would have to say that would be to be expected. You can't just, as Michael Pru- uh, Schumacher has proven, uh, just jump in a car after being out of it. Now, certainly, Karun hasn't been three years out of the car. But my point is... But he's also not seven-time world champion and all that. Fair yeah. enough. My point is is that, you know, there's a warm-up period getting back to... Uh, race pace and you know it's not going to happen in one weekend but and i like i like karun i think he's i think he's an interesting person i like that he's actually has family in texas and he's so there's actually an american tie and I, I i think he seems like one of those drivers that he was quite plucky in the hrt last year you know bruna senna had a lot more attention mm-hmm. at the beginning and karun had you know handled it just fine yeah and you know, following him on Twitter, Karun Chandok and all that, uh, he just he seems like a real person. You know, he's like someone we could totally hang out with, and he would just tell it like it is. He he's always tweeting photos, and here's what's going on. And, hey, we're preparing for this, and this is what's happening. So last year at HRT, and then now uh, in his in his test driver role at Lotus. But I, I guess as far as you know, Michael Schumacher getting back up to speed uh, versus you know these these Indian drivers that are going to be out of the car, but then getting back up to speed for India. I mean, it would be great if. Uh, one of the Indian drivers were in the lead and challenging for the win in front of their home home ter- you know home fans and all that that would be that would be brilliant but that's not what they're going for I mean really it's just the exposure of hey this is our guy in the race and he's from India and you're from India and here we are in India and isn't that great so right. it's, it's 
you know, in, so in a way, Michael Schumacher's return, if the idea was to get Schumacher in front of his fans, is working fine because he's in front of his fans. Well, clearly they needed to get a German in the field for the German Grand Prix. I yeah. mean, that was something that was sorely lacking. Uh, otherwise, so that was a big they part of it as well. That was big marketing. No car or team to root for, you know? Yeah. But, um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, they wouldn't they wouldn't be back up to race pace, um, but it almost doesn't matter um, because, I mean, neither of these teams is up to race pace, either Correct. neither HRT nor Lotus, to the point where it really matters. Um, and so I'm not sure that, uh, you know, I guess we had that with Scott Speed, right? It was like, hey, that's cool that he's American. He's not going to win anything. He's going right. to come 14th or whatever. But it was still like, that's our boy, you know, to a certain extent. Well, and, and then you, it wasn't anymore. And, and you whatever. give him credit for the things he can do within like the re- the realms of possibility in that level of performance and stuff like that. And you know, again, I think you and I both did root him on and think he did a good job in the conditions he was in for the Toro Rosso team. So, you know, it it happens. It happens to be a marketing thing. We know that. We realize that. Of course. Karun and Narain don't complain because all they really want is to get in the car. Mm-hmm. And so they're getting that, yeah, and at I'm least sure, some. And I'm sure there's sponsors and teams and all that. I mean, there, there certainly is that whole marketing advantage, especially because it's the first Indian Grand Prix ever. Uh, and then, you know, having the... And it is it's it is a little bit funny still that it's not Force India that's fielding either of these drivers. That You know, there's, yes, there's the Indian true. team, yeah. um, which which has no Indian drivers. A and, German and a and, Scott. And Vijay Malia even hitting out and saying, oh, there's no good Indian drivers in Narain and, uh, and Karun. are like, wait, what? <laughs> Come on, a-hole. Well, I, you know, and I want to actually put uh, a separation between Narain and Karun because... I think Narain has had a few chances to try to prove himself a little bit in Formula One. He's been in and out, did camping World Truck Series in between, and has yet to prove himself in the car. And he's now 34. You know, he's actually the same age as Mark Webber. And you know, Karun has had much fewer opportunities, and in those opportunities, in, in my opinion, has showed better. So I, I don't want to lump them together too much, but they are certainly in similar situations in how they're getting their rides this year. Yes. So I think, so yeah, we've got Daniel Ricciardo um, still in, still driving for HRT, I think pretty much up until the Indian Grand Prix. I don't know if they've officially announced um, if, the, if uh, Narain Karthikeyan will get any other drives um, other than the Indian Grand Prix, which... I can't imagine he kind of sucks for him to. It's like I mean, it's so obvious. Like we're just you're here for the marketing. I mean, not even like, get up to speed or whatever. But he's not. I mean, he's had several opportunities to yeah. be as quick as Liuzzi, yeah. and he has failed to do so. And that is the backmarker team of backmarker teams as well. So that really, I think. Although the, not so much this year, I'm not so sure if you compared H- HRT to Virgin, if that's really the case anymore. Certainly. They're they're competing for the back, but okay. They're I, I, I so think they're, they've they're, the, they're in the bottom two. Yes, I think pretty pretty safely. But last year HRT was clearly in the back, and I think Virgin's actually gone a step backward slightly, or less of a step forward than the other two. I don't know. Sure, um, and who knows how that'll all change next year? But anyway, so um, you know, yeah, Karun Chandok's out of the car, and then uh, I think the idea with Lotus is that Yarno truly will be back in the car. Um, Except for the Indian Grand Prix, but it's so it's a little bit screwball there now. So it's it's kind of the silly season uh, happening now with uh, with just some of these little changes going around. But um, actually, no 
no other big changes, and, and pretty much all the announcements that have been made so far are of drivers that will continue to stay with their teams for next year. I mean, all the top guys are not moving. Um, you know, even with the controversy with Weber at, at Red Bull, um, you know, he's still saying, yeah, I've got the contract, you know, for next year. I'm, I'm doing my thing. This Hamilton to Ferrari or Hamilton to Red Bull story, I mean, we've talked about that. I think it's, it keeps coming up, I think, because people want it to. We're just that's something right. to talk about. But right. it, I don't think you or I really, really believe that that would happen or that it makes sense for that to happen. I th- yeah. If Christian Horner had the opportunity to grab Hamilton, it might be too tempting to not take. But... I don't think he's going to pursue it. But it would ha- if it fell on yeah. his lap. I mean, it would have to be 2013 anyway. Yes. And by then, it's so it's so hard to say. You know, what's what's going to make the most sense, and who's going to want to be where? Um, you know, wh- who's going to have the best car at that point, and and whatnot. Um, so, and I, I, you know, Vettel Vettel is very well established in that team, and I think Hamilton might discover that he's not because you know the team at Mc, the McLaren. Loves Hamilton. He's been a part of the team from childhood, the whole deal, right? Mm-hmm. Vettel's kind of similar in Red Bull. So if Hamilton were to leave and go into that environment with someone that has already won a world championship for the team, you know, it very well would be two championships by the time he's there. And, you know, has those establishments already, then it might be more of an uphill struggle for Hamilton. But on the other side, Vettel also might get very frustrated at the fact that I, I actually am convinced that Hamilton's faster. So if they were in the same equipment, Vettel might lose some of that psychological battle. Either way, I still don't see it panning out to be better than staying at McLaren. And to go back to being teammates with Alonso, <laughs> with Alonso clearly establishing himself as the next Schumacher as the team is built around Alonso mm-hmm. full stop. I don't know how Hamilton would survive a Friday free practice in that environment, let alone a weekend, let alone a multiple year contract. So it just seems it I certainly am not gonna say it won't happen, but it seems like a poor decision to me. Yeah, and it just it doesn't there's no logical tie in. Like, you know, we talked about, you know, maybe Robert Kubica, of course, before his crash and and all that went on there, you know, a move for Robert Kubica to Ferrari as sort of, you know, he's not coming out of nowhere um, from from uh, you know, um, but not you know not having um, not having a huge connection since childhood with a team or whatever. I mean, he's he's had the Renault drive, his BMW and stuff before that. But as just like a really solid driver that just hasn't quite had the right car yet. If he could get into the right team with the right car, sure, that really magic could happen. But you know, someone like like Lewis um, with he's had so much history already. I mean, he's not even he's only been in the sport. Well, this is his fourth year, um, but he's already got yeah. so much history with you know with teammates and. Uh, and his in his one championship and the, what the team's done around him and all that that um it just it just doesn't make sense for that to uh to really happen uh so yeah i mean that's that's basically been um the all, all the driver announcements are really pretty consistent uh at this point um you know the uh you know the Sauber's seem i think i don't i forget if they've actually renewed their guys but i know Perez is just just starting there and i think Kobayashi they've been pleased with right. their guys although like, they have officially announced that Perez is going to get a ride a test drive in a Ferrari in September mm-hmm. so maybe they're looking at Perez as a potential Massa replacement slash grooming as they see him as a potential future world champion which is interesting to think about that dirty little thief <laughs> As a, as a potential Ferrari world driver. champion, stole my ride. But, you know, 
I think that it, it it doesn't make sense. Hamilton is not an up and comer. Hamilton is established. Mm-hmm. So unless they kick Alonso out, which there's no reason to do. Yeah. So I think yeah, Perez. You know, next year. Is you know Massa's going to be there again, but then if the year after that, if it were Alonso as sort of the the senior statesman, couple time champion, maybe a Ferrari championship by then, who knows? Um, and then the um, and then and then Perez as the up and comer, who then when Alonso retires or whatever, um, you know Perez being their main guy, and like we've talked about before, how you know Kimi Räikkönen never just melded with the team, and I feel like Lewis he never melded with any team though. Well. I mean, I, I guess the the Mercedes uh, or the you know the McLaren Mercedes, I think, sort of fit him a little bit more. And I'm not sure why I say that, but just I have the the sense that it that that you know kind of made sense as sort of a you know the Ferrari just the team has if it's the Italian heritage or the the sheer number of fans and the passion. I mean, the, the team is all about kind of the passion and the you know emotion and all that. And uh, and the McLaren team always to me was the more well drilled, mechanical, robotic sort of. There's an interesting question. I wonder how many Finnish drivers Ferrari has uh, hired, hmm. because it doesn't seem like many. A yeah. lot more Latin guys. Yeah, and so that's that, what makes sense. Um, I mean, obviously Massa being Brazilian, um, you know, fits with that. Perez uh, being Mexican fits with that, and uh, and then there's also talk with uh, and, and of course Perez has the backing of of you know Carlos Slim um, is the richest man in the world, and like his son that runs all the motorsport stuff. So there's a huge financial connection there, and Ferrari of course is bigger than just the F1 team. And if yeah. they have the backing of the world's biggest, you know, the world's Which, richest man. And, and who he owns the Telmex empire. Mm-hmm. So. And, uh, and so having that connection, I think, makes a lot of sense for Ferrari. Um, but also they're talking about there's been some renewed interest in the in a Mexican Grand Prix. They've been back to the— Which um, would be fantastic. Yeah, been back to the, uh, you know, Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez in Mexico City, which is a mouthful to say, but— uh, I also could have said it, but I let Jim say A it. pretty cool track. Um, it would need some need some updates and repairs. I mean, it's, it's a park, you know, every hour of the day when it's not being a racetrack. Uh, and so it's kind of wild. I've been down there for um, some Porsche events, and they, they have, sort of have a van that goes around, and everyone's like, get off the track, get out of our park. And then they, they go around with the van a couple of times, and then they close all the gates, and then it's a racetrack. It's like it's, it's a well-used facility because it has That's to be. Amazing. There's just you know 12 million people in Mexico City. And is it true that it is paved entirely of chorizo? You know, that that's actually not a fact. Really? But I, I read that on the back of a Snickers bar. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's Snickers bar lied to you, my friend. Man. But, I, I mean, that, which makes sense in a, in a couple of raids, having a Mexican Grand Prix, because it's on a U.S. time zone. Um, you know what you could call it? Oh, you're still on this, aren't you? <laughs> you know what you could call it? Hmm. You could call it the Circuit of the Americas. You could do that. Because it's Central America. There's North America above, South America below. It's... America's you could have the American Grand Prix and it could go the, back and forth. Yeah. But but they were talking about having the Texas and then Mexico City races back to back, like you know, Montreal and Indy used to be there geographically really close or same time zone when all the all the you know, equipment, everything's gonna be over here anyway. Um, but then I think for marketing purposes and all that, um, you know, then maybe having even a second American Grand Prix, if there could be another US Grand Prix somewhere else, um, we're having, you know, Canada tied up with whatever it may be, Road America or something else like that, and then have, you know, the, you know maybe early in the year. And I then, would love to see an F1 car around Road America. And then, I yeah. love that track. And then uh, and then having, you know, Circuit of the Americas and then tied in with Mexico or even, even you know, tag it on with Brazil, which is almost the same time zone. Like, that, that would make a lot of sense for the marketing, for the, you know, raising awareness in the U.S., having more races that, you know, we can watch live and, and be involved in and so on. So that 
that to me is an interesting prospect, and I think as a long-term goal for Ferrari, if Perez keeps showing some solid performances, that that would actually make a lot of sense. And I think you know, sort of the the money behind him, and then also just you know his his personality, which he hasn't really shown to us yet in F1, he hasn't sure. done enough interviews or whatever to get a sense. But I mean, I, you have to imagine, like we've talked about, as kind of the you know the, the you know Mexican heritage and sort of you know the Latin, even you know the language and the and the sort of style and all that uh, sort of fits with uh, with Ferrari. And if, if this could be their you know, they're Lewis Hamilton or whatever. They're guy that they, you know, right. grow up with in, in the Ferrari uh, situation. So I would love, because I, I can't, it gets really fuzzy for me. I could probably pick a couple of names earlier on, but the last, I know it was Eddie Jordan and Schumacher in the Ferrari, and it was Barrichello and Schumacher in the Ferrari. And from then, it was Schumacher, Massa, Raikkonen, Massa, and now Alonzo, Massa. I think that's right. So before that, is there much of a history of Finnish drivers or other drivers in the car? Or has it been largely Italian and Latin guys? Because that's what kind of strikes, you know, comes to my mind as the truth. Yeah, I'm I know Phil Hill. Phil Hill was in a Ferrari in the 60s, an American. So... Anyway, I guess we're kind of getting off topic. Well, yeah, here. I mean, uh, let's see: Alberto Ascari, Juan Manuel Fangio, you know, Argentine, uh, Mike Hawthorne, Phil Hill, John Surtees. Uh, Nikki, Those were all Brits. Nicky Lauda, well, uh, except for Phil Hill. Um, Jody Schechter. Nicky Lauda is German. Schechter is South African. Yeah, then Schumacher, Raikkonen, Falbon Championships. Um, you know, Giancarlo Fisichella, Italian. Uh, Mark Schnee. Oh, that's with like three races. Spanish, that doesn't count. Uh, He's, well, he's a current. He's the current test driver for Ferrari. I didn't even know that. But <laughs> well, you did know that. It just wasn't in the front of your mind. <laughs> Fisichella. I, I mean, when was the last time we saw him? Because he like, raced. He ALMS. raced. He was second. He was second in Force India, and then they got yeah, the but, test because replacing, replacing Massa because of his. But that was yeah. years ago. That was forever. Years ago. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. So yeah, that's 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 how Ferrari rolls, though. I think we've 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 beaten that horse now well enough. Sweet. Well, if anyone knows of any other Finnish drivers that have been other than Raikkonen, let us know. Uh, you know, we could probably Wikipedia it up enough to discover it ourselves. But we have a show to continue with, so we're going to do that. I think we've gotten into the Friday open practice. And what struck me was there was a lot of talk, especially from McLaren itself, that the blown diffuser issue affected them a lot. I think at one point Martin Whitmarsh said seven to eight tenths of a second. That's huge. But now that they had it back, Friday free practice, neither uh, Hamilton nor Button seemed very quick. And I was getting concerned as a Button fan especially, but as a McLaren fan in general, like, oh, boy, these guys are off still. Yeah, and all their their press conferences and interviews were all like, we're not going to be very good for qualifying. This is not going to go well. This is going to be a tough weekend. Like, just really downplaying it, um, which is is rare. I mean, usually it's sort of like this— you know, ever optimistic, you know, oh, it's tough for us now, but you never know, or we can get some pace back or whatever. And these, and, and I heard more, I think more from Hamilton was just like, yeah, we're not going to be in the run for pole, uh, which is, is funny. Um, it is looking quite back ironic. now because, yes. um, you know, Mark Webber um, set a lap in the Red Bull. He's like, oh, this is the best lap I could have gotten out of the car, you know, as opposed to sometimes in the interviews we hear the guys are like, oh, you know, I just, it, it wasn't perfect, but if I really yeah. could have strung it together, it would have happened. But, right. you know, Mark Webber in, in the Red Bull, of course, was like, hey, I, you know, I got the best out of the car, but Lewis Hamilton was like, that was wicked. I didn't even know the car could do that. It just all came together. Beside himself. Was, he, you know. Yeah, I, I remember thinking to myself, 
wow, I've never seen Hamilton so happy to not be on pole. And it wasn't that he was happy that he was not on pole, but Hamilton, despite not being on pole, he's like, I, I couldn't have done more out of the car, and I can't believe how quick we were. And, the, well, and the lap was so beautiful. He said he had a great rhythm through the lap and stuff like that. And I know exactly what he's talking about, where the effort level seems to drop, where it's just kind of coming together on its own. And, you know, it seems like he experienced that in abundance on Saturday, and the result was this. And then, by comparison, Button was eighth, quickest, maybe seventh, and almost a second behind the quick guys. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, Button was seventh on the grid. Uh, so, just to, to cut to the chase a little bit, um, you know, it was Mark Weber on pole. Um, and then, you know, just in front of Lewis Hamilton, but Hamilton, you know, faster than Vettel. And that's pretty pretty much been the benchmark. I mean, Vettel's had this incredible qualifying record for the last 15 because, years. Because as whatever. Jim Lau says, if you vote on Vettel, you can't do worse than second. Well, this is what I get to listen. This is what I get for listening to Jim. Yeah, that's, that's, that is pretty much my fault. You're right. Mostly. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, that, that's got to be the most exciting part of it is not even necessarily, you know, is the, the lap coming together. Um, but then it's like, dude, I'm faster than Vettel. I mean, right. he was just running away with, with qualifying performance and with championship points right now and, and at the same time though they're like this is the first time he's out of the front row and blah 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 it's so incredible it's like where did he qualify third he was just out of the front row a tenth of a second faster would have put him right in touch for the pole and a big reason why he was off the front row is because hamilton was so incredible yeah uh, and it's funny, already just after the race, um, there have been, you know, calls from Red Bull, oh, we need to improve the car, and this this can't happen again, and this is a disaster. And it's like, no, it's not. I yeah. mean, I think... Third and fourth. I think it's easy for, um, you know, the commentators, what you know, doing everything live, um, you know, we don't envy their job of having to... Uh, you know, sound intelligent and be able to comment on everything live. We do envy their studio, though. Yes, we do envy their studio, and I, there are many times where I, you know, I think we could, we, we feel as though we could do a better job than them. I think in practice, maybe it would be with right. the whole live right. and the whole situation may not work quite so well. But, um, you know, it's it's so easy to look at one qualifying performance. Oh, is Vettel on the way down? Is something wrong? Is it, is he falling out with the team? Or is this whole thing with Weber messing with his mind? It's like it's so yeah. easy to make up lots of stories of what might be happening. Right. But as you said. It's a tenth of a second. I mean, he didn't qualify fifteenth, um, and the uh, one of the thoughts, and it hasn't been confirmed uh, one way or another. At least I haven't read an article that does uh, confirm yet. Is that maybe he had the car in a wet setup, betting that there was going to be more, you know, betting that there was going to be rain, Which, so it was a bit soft for for absolute qualifying. I frankly wouldn't think that would be the case, because to me that seems like a more likely strategy if you're behind and you want to potentially capitalize on a way to catch up. but Because then what do you got to lose? Yeah, Right. But when you're in front, it seems to make sense to go with a safe strategy, which is you have to assume something's going to be dry unless unless it's, you know, near guaranteed to rain like a Singapore or something and they're doing it in the afternoon and you know it always rains every afternoon or whatever. Or the, the forecast is very clear that it's going to be wet or something. And, and I think the problem is that you know, in this in this area, which is the same thing we deal with, with at Spa, like the you know, as cliche as it is, the only thing you can predict is that you can't predict it, right? I mean, right. Th- there's not. I mean, like the Malaysia, uh, you know, that 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 race. I mean, it's sort of it's in monsoon season, and it's like once it starts to rain, it goes nuts with rain, um, except when it doesn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's usually very predictable, right. and a lot of times you can you can sort of bet on that. Um, and as a, as a quick note on that, you know, as we were watching the the coverage. Um, 
I, I did notice, you know, a lot of these teams will have their own weather guys and their own weather stations and, you know, their sensors and, you know, maybe even radar on top of the trucks or whatever. And, uh, and you know, have because each one wants to have the best possible information, right, and be, right. be that much better and that much more accurate than the rest of them. And we have to say that Mike Gascoigne really one-upped everybody. Yeah, the most comprehensive. <laughs> so, and then you get a smaller team and you think about, you know, a smaller and sort of what's how how can you save money and you know there was a shot over the over the shoulders of the lotus guys and they just had like you know weather.com pulled up on some laptop <laughs> with just it had it was pop-up ads even actually happening on the street sure, sure. but it's like there's where there's radar you know right. it's not how much better are is the data that the other teams are getting hiring a guy and all the equipment and all sure. the stuff so it's, it is kind of funny to see you know where some of the differences are between the top teams and the lower level teams i almost wonder if that's like a uh, like a like a specs war, you know, you see these guys that are 75 years old that order 1,200 horsepower Hennessy Vipers that are twin turbo and stuff like that, and they drive them at 35 miles an hour. And the reason why they bought the car is so they can ring off all their stats. I've got 1,200 horsepower and this many pound-feet of torque, and I've got this wide of a tire, and I can I can consume this much fuel at top speed or whatever. And maybe Ferrari into the sponsors would be like, we have this weather station, we have this, that, I don't know. Maybe it's just like a, uh, you know, a status war in that sense. I'm just guessing. Yeah. It, but it is, it, I, mean, I agree it, I, with you, in today's modern world, it seems like radar is pretty well covered for the common man. And as long as you've got internet access, it seems like there's a lot of information you can get at sure. your fingertips. And you can even have several different radars or whatever. I mean, so probably what happened is one of the first times they were setting up their trucks at the beginning of whatever season, 08 or whatever. And then, you know, the Ferrari guys are coming, you know, are, are setting up their, their truck. And then right next to a McLaren, they're like, oh, these guys have a radar. We, we should get that. <laughs> right. Because they have that. Right, right. Wait, how'd you get that? You know? and, then they're, <laughs> and then they're like, we need a radar. <laughs> and by the next race, there it is. Okay, so... Um, I would, so, so it lines up. It's 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 Weber on pole with Hamilton, and then and then Vettel right behind Weber on the clean side of the track and in third spot. Um, and Ferrari ended up in fourth with Alonso, which was a little bit surprising because Ferrari did seem quite strong throughout free practice, mm-hmm. but still pretty darn competitive. Mm-hmm. Like once sort of Red Bull turned up the wick, and then obviously McLaren and Lewis having his magic, um, you know, left the Ferrari behind a little bit, um, and then it was Massa. Behind him, and then and then you know Button way down. No, then it was then it was Massa. Then it was Rosberg. Then it was Button in seventh spot. So, right, right. Um, we we like the guy, but yikes, that's not yeah. a, that is not a solid no. qualifying for a McLaren, considering believe, his teammate was on pole. I believe it was Petrov in eighth. That eight. sounds about right. And, no, Petrov was ninth. It and was Schumacher was tenth. So, so who was in eighth? Sutil in eighth. Sutil was eighth. That's okay. right. And so, it was a good run by Sutil, and one of only the third time that he's out qualified Duresta his phenom rookie teammate and another one who we have to keep an eye out for a more top team by the way and that i think could be a work towards you know mercedes or mclaren um as a as a potential tie-in i think as well there could be some um you know could could fit into their corporate culture pretty well or you know as especially i mean mclaren right now being like the english dream team with two english world champions and whatever and if she's right. you know the scottish guy comes in and whatever um so i you know looking at that and you say okay well sebastian vettel starting anywhere from first in most cases, he leads the race by, like, turn four on lap one. I mean, in a lot of cases, Sebastian Vettel is able to just get really good starts, you know, make some kind of little bit daring move. Or more to the point, and this actually was a pretty common response to the column I wrote a few days ago, was that Weber's one consistent weekend weakness throughout his career has been starts. And it's not even that Vettel's phenomenally good at starts. Moreover, that Weber tends to be a little bit poor at them. And Vettel's good enough to just get around him and... uh 
and, and capitalize on that. So I was thinking, okay, from the clean side of the track and, you know, squiggling around Vettel, uh, around Weber a little bit, that there's a good chance that, well, you know, the Vettel would lead the race from about halfway through the first lap and then probably on to the finish. And that was not what happened. I mean, I, well, on, I, I have to pat myself on the back and I said, nay, Jim, nay. I think Hamilton will be leading going into the first corner. And you were right. Um, this because turn one here at the, at the Nurburgring circuit um, is it, it's a I think a very cool setup for a turn one. Um, and that you've got a really tight right hander and then immediately into a, into a sort of a double apex left hander. So there's a lot of sort of compromises of if, if you can you can sort of do an over under. There's sort of two different lines you can take yep. through turn one. And when you are you know at the start of the race you kind of you know there's two lines of cars you sort of have to take both. And then it's how much grip can you get you know right down the middle of, of the uh, at the, the apex of the tight turn one and then that sets you up better for turn two but then there's a couple ways to sort of go over and under and 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 chop people off so it was uh it was a clean start but yeah i mean uh, uh, hamilton um just just took off really well and weber did not and and uh, i don't know what it is i mean it doesn't you don't outwardly see him doing anything wrong or different than the other people but just the way he releases the clutch or something. It's well, just the fuel map. The, the the engine mapping guy is a really big Vettel fan, <laughs> and, exactly. and he's like, he's got the diff set in like start mode, and it's just like, oh, let's just bog it. Let's just lo- you know make it five thousand RPM too low, and then it'll be like, oh, it was Weber's fault, and then Vettel will get around. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't put that past Red Bull uh, at this point. One never knows. One never knows. I, I can't. It, it's. Whenever, whenever he gets a good start, you're like, oh, Weber actually got a good start. So, I mean, that's, that in itself is a bad sign. You know what I mean? Like when you get applauded for not screwing up, you know, mm-hmm. it's like being the special guy, kid. Oh, yay, he made a hit. Just like yay. when Massa makes a good on-track pass, and you're like, wow, look at that. Hey, Massa. good for you. Nice job. Nice going, <laughs> kiddo. Oh, just a little Brazilian, that's all. So Hamilton takes off into the lead. Weber ends up in second. Alonso gets around Vettel for third, and those three start what becomes a race-long battle for the lead, which truly is phenomenal. And at the very beginning, we're like, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, no way Hamilton will be able to keep this up. He's going too fast. He's going to wear out the tires. And he was the first one to pit, but, you know, it proved to be a pretty fast— I mean, there was three-stop strategies pretty common, mm-hmm. and there was a lot— a lot of aggressive and and the McLaren was McLaren was quick and had the match. So those top three went off and really had a phenomenal race. It was so awesome to watch because it wasn't just a race of strategy or just passing here and there. It was both the whole time. Yeah, and and actually down the field as well. I mean, there was sort of the, the second string of that, right? Was uh, was was Massa with uh, with Vettel for a while, and then you know with with Rosberg, and you know just kind of some midfield battles that were. Uh, they were looking pretty cool. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, to, you know, the, the end of the story essentially is, you know, Lewis Hamilton ending up just ending up winning the race. I mean, he did a, you know, a great job to be, you know, the only other than Vettel, the only second time winner this year, which is kind of an incredible stat in itself. But, uh, you know, that's just it, it. It worked for him. He was able to hold on to it. And it really seemed like it was going to be something, you know. I was watching Vettel and he and when he pitted he went down to like seventh or something and it was you know, ninth for a while he was like yeah, way low and, then, and ninth, they kind of yeah. cycled back up to the pits and you're like okay yeah well he's probably gonna you know the Red Bull seems to come up with some magic and, and Ferrari and Schumacher used to do this as well it was like he'd be down in the running and somehow there'd be a safety car but he would have pitted and something it's like somehow he's back in second or first or it was just like right. how did how in the world and you figured that would happen we did see an uh, an uncharacteristic spin from Vettel where he got his his car just off the track just a little bit onto the, the wet right grass right rear just on the corner of the wet 
grass and it looped him really quickly. It just yeah. came around on him and it was, and he didn't lose a whole lot then, but it was, it was, you know, almost a position. So that meant he was, you know, that Rosberg was just behind him instead of comfortably behind him. Right. Uh, and it was so just I, behind him and pacing him because he had those flat spotted tires to deal with. Yeah. So it slowed him down enough that he couldn't, he couldn't lose Rosberg very easily. The two things that stuck out for me were how phenomenally good Hamilton was the entire race. And I have a few examples I want to mention. Mm-hmm. And how ordinary Vettel was. He was not that competitive. It took Vettel a long time to get around Massa, and he had to do it in the pits. He was getting past and was not able to pass back. I mean, he was competitive. It's not like he was slow or a backmark or anything like that, but he was not he didn't a have, phenom Yeah, he didn't kind. have the Vettel Red Bull magic that you would have expected. And that's what seemed like, oh, maybe his, you know, maybe his car setup is, is, a, is a gambling setup. But like you say, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And he says, uh, just as quickly as you were talking, uh, going through some of these articles, like he had some brake trouble or something that he said he, he couldn't, he just couldn't, um, you know, problems with his brake meant fourth, fourth with his brakes meant fourth was the best he could muster in Germany, which doesn't tell us a whole lot. But um, right, and I mean we I should we should qualify what we're saying. We don't think we don't think Vettel's slow now or anything like that. It, everyone has a bad race, and to end up fourth in a bad race is not that bad. Yeah. So, but now he's only leading the championship by you know three and a half right. race wins. We've gotten so used to him being so quick. That that's why that's what draws these kind of conversations. But the one thing that does seem to be compounding as evidence is his inability to race. His ability to lap really quickly is a really amazing combination between the newly designed car and Vettel. When he's in the zone, he's incredibly quick. But there just seems to be more and more evidence of him only being a so-so racer in terms of dicing it up and passing strategy and blocking strategy and those type of things. Not as strong as a couple of as some of the other top drivers, Alonso or Hamilton. Yeah, and I, there's a couple of examples that that support that. I mean, when he lost the lead in Canada, on um, just kind of his own error. Um, but I, in general, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think that may be reading a bit too much into it because it does seem like he's been able to uh, he's he's been able to put himself in the best position to win races, of course, by getting himself on pole. Right. Uh, which, like you say, we can't discount that. Uh, at all. I mean, he's you know essentially been the class of the field. If your almost only every time. skill is to get on pole and win races from pole, fine. Yeah, it's like oh, I guess I'm a one trick pony. Then it's it's a pretty right. darn good so, trick. So being able to put himself in that situation. But then I, I mean, I think there, are, like you say, it's everyone has a bad race sometimes. Or once you once you've sort of you know, if you never quite got the car to how you wanted it, or if, like he says, problems with the brakes or whatever. Um, you know, I I think that. There, you know, I don't think this was a problem of his racecraft um, in, in this case, and, and you know, we've seen, um, you know, Vettel getting, in, you know, just sometimes circulating through through pit stops and stuff where he's where he's back, you know, a position or two. And there's been, you know, the the other, you know, where, um, you know, like I said, he lost it to Button in Canada. Um, you know, the other, the Alonso win, and then Hamilton's first win, um, where it's just he hasn't been in first place, and you know, it's not like he's he gives up and gets out of the car and, and storms off and is obnoxious or anything. I mean, no, it's not um, like he becomes bad. It's just that the the skill that seems so superior goes away, and it seems a little bit more competitive, but not class of the field. 
when it comes to his ability to pass and mix through the field and, and, and those type of conditions, that type of pressure. So he's no Kamui Kobayashi is what you're saying. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, especially on the brakes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. But uh, if, if, if you'll indulge me, I, I think we need to spend a little bit of time on Hamilton here. Yeah. And I, I can't wait any longer. Go for it. He was phenomenal. He got he had a great start and put his car, placed his car perfectly at the beginning of the race to take the lead and keep it. He um another example was when he got out of the pits and uh successfully defended Weber from getting around him, even though Weber's tires were hot and uh was much quicker at that moment in time. And then just just a few laps later, when he had to pit, successfully passed in those exact same conditions as Alonzo got out of the pits. He he was incredible to watch, unstoppable. He blocked perfectly when he needed a block. He passed unbelievably when he needed a pass. He was clean. That was a world-class performance. I could not believe some of the things he was pulling off. I have a huge ego when it comes to my own driving ability massive and i still believe in my core that given the opportunity i could drive an f1 car really quickly as completely as outlandish as that may sound to many many people i still truly believe that i'm telling you now honestly from the bottom of my heart that i know i could not do that i just do not have the talent even if i had all the access in the world, i could not do that he was insane to watch I had so much respect for that performance. Yeah, in some of the uh, interviews, I think he called it, you know, controlled aggression. And we've definitely seen Hamilton's aggression so far this season. But I think he has the control just to the right point where it's, you know, aggressive enough to, I'm going to defend this pass. I'm not going to let Alonso get ahead of me and then work past. You know, it's like, this is worth defending, but then doing that defense cleanly. So there weren't penalties. There weren't any really dicey, almost off track. It was like on the edge of... Uh, it was it was civilized, you know. It was racing, but it was civilized, and I think that you know he's he's found that balance, and he you know it was it was funny at one point, you know, especially in light of everything that's happened with Hamilton and the team, and you know we've talked about this before when you know it it always kind of rubs us the wrong way when uh, any driver, but you know it's, you know even like Hamilton, you know, we expect him to be um, you know a, a, he's a world champion driver, you know, and all that, but when he gets critical of the team and says, "Oh, you guys give me the wrong tires," or right, "What the hell sure. was that?" Yeah, you know, any absolutely. of that, and it just it's just like, come on, guy, you know that's that's not that it's it's not what we want to hear. It's not sort of the you know, professional way to deal with stuff like that. Um, so when the team was, was talking to him about tire strategy or something and he gets back on the radio, he's like, don't talk to me while I'm racing, <laughs> which it's sort of like, I think, he, you know, he, he was back. He's in that rhythm that he talked about in qualifying where like things are coming together. He's making moves. He's got this sort of mental awareness of where all the cars are and where they're strong and where they're not. And all of a sudden on the radio, they're like, blah, 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 something or other. And he's just like, ah, well, in, I mean, I I'm think he was zone. in the middle of defending from Alonzo trying to make a pass at the time, and they're like, hey, what tire strategy do you think we should do in two laps? Like, not now, yeah, please. And it's just like, <laughs> uh, you guys are messing with me right now. And, you know, and I think the team, especially because he went on to win the race, has to, after be like, all right, sorry, dude, that was our, you know, that was our bad. Like, you know, we'll try to be a little more sensitive. And I mean, the radio transmissions come a little bit delayed on TV, so we don't know exactly what was happening when that happened. Right, and it's also hard. To, I mean, they don't necessarily broadcast all of them either, of course. Right. So we don't know 
we don't necessarily all the context. Yeah, we don't know exactly the situation, but it is. It, it was kind of interesting to see. He's like, it's like I'm doing my job. I'm I'm doing like I'm, I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. Like, please right. don't mess with me right now because ah. Right. <laughs> so it was that was you know kind of a, kind of a cool moment and. You know, to his credit, and which which is how Hamilton normally is. Um, after the win, he's just like so congratulatory to the team, and you know, thank you so much for everything. You know, you guys have did a great job, and blah blah blah. Which is like that's what we expect. So that's why it's such a you know negative when we see him being critical of the team because it's like you know, come on, dude, you're normally a you know professional, good driver, and supportive of everything, and uh, it's it sucks to see him uh, you know go all wrong. And we even saw an incredible moment, at least by our standards, which was after. Hamlin crossed the line and finished first, and Alonzo crossed the line. Al- Alonzo gave him the, like, respect, nod, wave, like, good race, nod, wave. Like, I don't completely hate you right now for this brief moment of time, mm-hmm. nod, wave thing. How about that? Which I think had a lot to do with, like, we're both in front of Vettel. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, that, that, would be, uh, that, that would be my feeling, I think, in that yeah. situation. It's like, like, I don't really care. It's like, you know, it's like I didn't win, but if I'm not going to win, the fact that I'm in front of Vettel is, like, the next best thing. <laughs> but even, like, there's definitely been times when even if you come out on the, on the losing end, and I've been in both places where I come out on the winning end or on the losing end of, like, just a really good scrap, and you just know it was a good scrap, and you guys, you were really evenly matched, and you were both clean but you were both aggressive and you know came you just like that was an incredible amount of fun right and i think there was a lot of that for alonzo and hamilton's like man wow what an incredible experience we just had Yeah, because i think it's not fun when you're battling with some problem with the car and you're you know it's frustrating like you know especially i remember alonzo with like gearbox trouble and he's like fighting through the malaysian race oh i remember that absolutely and then the car ended up blowing up at the end of it it was just like how impossibly frustrating anyone deserved an ice cream and a coke yeah doing one of these epic battles to like keep the car going and all that so i think the like you know the, the satisfaction at the end of this race was like you were doing your thing, and it all worked for you. I was doing my thing, and it all worked for me. And, like, yes, you came out ahead, but, like, that was a good battle. And, like, we were both, you know, it yeah. was a satisfying drive for both drivers. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was cool. And so then um, Alonzo's car, he stopped his car on the, on the in-lap. Um, we didn't really see TV coverage of that, but I saw a couple articles about it. We did see a really brief clip of Alonzo riding back on Weber's car yeah. um, back around into the pits and in from there, which we thought maybe there would be some kind of penalty or whatever, but they checked the fuel levels and everything in the fuel. I think it was and all part of the strategy for Alonso to get a closer look at the Red Bull. And Alonso, he was getting a ride. He was, he's looking down. He's like, oh, so that's <laughs> where they have a button for the. Hmm, oh, yeah, I knew it. So I mean, which is sort of funny. So that's, uh, you know, I don't know that uh, Alonso and, and Weber are like best mates or anything, but uh, it was kind of funny to see. How can you not be best mates with Weber? Weber's everyone's well, if you're best Vettel, mate. I don't know. Then maybe you wouldn't be a huge fan. So, again, Alonso's performance was also quite good. I mean, it, Alonso has proven himself a time and time again, especially this year, is he justifying Ferrari putting so much weight behind him. He is really good all the time and very, very fast, but also clearly thinking race-long strategy, mm-hmm. clearly thinking about the entire picture, clearly can get the team around him. And so to watch him drive as well as he did, to see them both driving really well, I thought was great. Again, I thought Hamilton's performance was epic and no one could touch it, but Alonso's was still extremely strong. 
and Ferrari was saying after Silverstone that their performance there wasn't just because the oh this is just because the Red Bulls don't have the diffusers. They're like, no, we actually did take a step forward, and I think that was shown, especially in the practice and stuff Absolutely. at Nurburgring, that uh, yes, the Ferrari has actually taken a step forward, and that uh, and that worked well. Uh, I do want to talk about uh, Vettel and Alonso though, because um, that or sorry Vettel and Massa, because that was sort of the next battle, um, and that was actually I'm just looking at the lap chart from from the race, and it was almost exactly the second half of the race. Um, was with Massa in uh, Massa in fourth and Vettel in fifth, um, and they did the they did a round of pit stops where they came in and came out in the same order. Yeah. Um, and uh, everyone with this was was trying to avoid using the medium tire. I think there was at the beginning of the race. Oh, yeah. There was this, okay. There, uh-huh. <laughs> I know that opens a whole other folder for you. Right. But <laughs> so at the beginning of the race, there was this whole chance of rain. It was sprinkling a little bit on and off. Never enough to use intermediate tires. So everyone, I think, is hoping. We can just use soft tires, and then if it rains, then we go to intermediates. No one ever has to touch the medium, and you know that that'll be the end of it. Um, and then as it, it was g- weird because it was like the medium the the medium tire was poison or something, and it's like yeah, it's a slower tire, but That's is the that point. worse than rain? I, I it was I understand the strategy of don't use the slower tire if it's going to rain. You have to go on the enters anyway, and that wipes out the need for the slower tire. But and cert- that everyone will have to go on the inters at the same time, right? And maybe you'll get lucky with the timing of when you go on to the inters. But certainly, a couple of drivers and their teams took it to an extreme, which is, I think, what you're getting at, right? So that, uh, you know, that's that's kind of the deal. So Vettel and uh, and Massa, um, you know, Massa's in front, and and Vettel was close for almost that whole time. I mean, I think he was, but could not get around. either right within or maybe just outside of DRS. You know, the one second uh, gap. I think he was well within DRS in, zone for a, most of the in time. In most cases, he was he was within it, and it was you know that that Ferrari was, and especially Massa's for whatever reason, uh, low downforce or whatever, was magic in a straight line. He had the fastest trap speed of anyone, and by the end of that. Uh, you know, but by the end of the DRS zone, which is like a slight right bend and then goes into the chicane, um, he just held the inside Vettel, line, Vettel and that was that. Didn't have enough, uh, you know, uh, enough position, and then and then by the time they come back around, you know, it was just it was not not close enough to make a make a real challenge at it. So as we're getting down with with ten laps to go, we're like, all right, well, it's just only a few laps on the on a medium tire, you know, and especially if Vettel. It's probably going to be, you know, it looks like he he has the potential to be much faster than Massa. I mean, because he's keeping right with his pace, even when he's losing downforce in the, in the uh, you know, in the slipstream of, the, of Massa's car and all that. You know, yes, the hard tire, the medium tire, the relatively hard tire is one and a half seconds slower. But between the worn out soft tires that they're both on at this point Absolutely. and the time that he's losing being behind Massa, we were both surprised that they wouldn't bring in Vettel, put him on this poisonous, you know, medium tire. <laughs> it's like, okay, yes, it's it's potentially a second and a half slower, but it's a brand new tire instead of an old soft tire, right. which is not only getting slower as it as it gets more, you know, as it, as it wears on more, but I think it's getting less predictable. And it, Vettel it, certainly had a flat spot on the right front. Yeah, it's more likely to, you know, once you have a flat spot, of course, that'll get worse. I think, and and how much time he's losing from being behind Massa. I mean, I don't think that you and I are better strategists than the Red Bull team, um, but we were both surprised of, like, why wouldn't you bring him in? We we have proved that we are better strategists than the Red Bull team, though. How many Constructors' Championships do we have, though? I mean, depends on your definition. Fair enough. Several, by my count. Okay. Uh, so it was—so they—, they 
waited until lap 59 of 60. It was it was one time crossing the start finish line with those medium tires on for both uh, for both Vettel and Massa, and it ended up that the Red Bull team was able to get their car in tires changed and out of the pits just in front of Massa's, um, and and that was what got in the position. Yeah, but, but I, I agree with you. Lap 50, bring Vettel in. If if the car is fundamentally faster than Massa, even if you have a second and a half deficit against new set versus new set, a used set of the quicker tires versus a new set of the slower tires and a faster car should have netted faster lap times and, and then and, jumped him in the pits easily. Yeah, and basically not being held up the whole time by Absolutely. Massa. Absolutely. And, and it was funny. I mean, I, there was, everyone's avoiding going onto the medium tire almost as though, like, if we can just hold out on this soft tire long enough, we won't have to use it at all. But you're going to have to use it. That's right. the rules. And that's why i mean and it's funny to see all the teams complain about how the, the tire has no grip and it's so much slower but that's the point that's the idea behind this this right. racing is that there is okay then you have to strategize and in this case that didn't really affect the outcome of the race too much in terms of the hard versus soft i mean it's almost like they, just, they had they all had a forced pit stop that well, they had to do in a way it did though because hamilton did go for the strategy of pitting relatively early for the regular set of tires the medium set yeah. of tires and that proved to be a set of tires he was quicker on than Weber, both Weber and Alonso thought would be. And they ended up losing time to cycle for pit stops as opposed to gaining. So it actually, in my opinion, did kind of play a part. Yeah. Because um, it, it was part of the strategy that they were calculating against how quick would that tire be yeah. versus the used quicker tire, the used option tire. Sure. And so I guess what I'm saying is it wasn't like so hard that it was, you know, it, it meant that like, oh, I'm in the lead, but all of a sudden I have to lose all this position. But because everybody has to use that tire, and I guess what what effectively happened is, that, you know, everyone did the same strategy of, you know, just use that at the very end, only if we have to, only if it stays dry. It wasn't one of these where somebody starts on the hard tires and then maybe has a, a really good run on softs later in the race or whatever. It didn't right. kind of do that any kind of backward strategy. Sure. But that's the idea of these of these tire regulations is that it has to be there has to be some difference when you run it. Some, and I guess you can look at it as, as a time penalty compared to the soft ones, or if you look at it as a you know a grip bonus that you get when you use the options. Um, but uh, Jim that, is a glass is half full uh, man, and that's that's I mean if the that's tires, what's great about it, you, it, it's 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 a bonus. One and a half second a lap bonus you get most of the time. It's not a deficit. And it's, I it, like that. And it's funny to look at, the, you know, if the tire is, in fact, a second and a half slower over the course of a five-kilometer lap, um, the, and, the, and then the driver's like, there's no grip. It's terrible. And it's when, you know, when you sort of step back a moment and think about how fast that car is still going, how quickly it's still cornering, sure. and its average lap speed over the, over the course of the lap, and you know, for them to be like, "Oh, it's terrible! I can't drive! I can't feel at all." Of course, it's relative, and it's just compared to the super grippy tire they had on before. But uh, it is—it is a little bit funny. It's, just, it's like that's—that's that's exactly why there are these tires, and that's why there are the two different versions of it, and uh, and kind of what the point of that of the two tire, you know, compound rule was all about. At the end of the day, Moss ended up having a five-second pit stop, which is slow by current standards, and Vettel did get around at the last second. At the last lap, anyway. So Vettel did secure fourth place that way. But again, that was in large part with my gosh, Vettel looked awfully ordinary this weekend, is his trouble getting around Massa. So, you know, certainly the Ferrari's pace has improved quite a bit. And, you know, very possible that Vettel had those brake issues. Uh, there's no reason why, you know, he would be lying about that. So, of course. But Massa is 
been consistently and including this weekend a fair bit slower uh, than Alonso. So it seems like Vettel being in the Red Bull, usually the class of the field versus the Massa side of Ferrari. <laughs> should, should, he, he's their Massa driver, right, if you will. Right. So it should you know he should have still been able to get by, but it just simply wasn't the case. So uh, you know again, very very early and. Uh, uh, silly to start judging Vettel's performance for the rest of the year based on this uh, this performance, but it it does, in my opinion, kind of add a little bit to that evidence of, of not the best drivers passer in the world. Um, however, I I do want to talk about Weber's performance a little bit because despite ended up finishing somewhat distant third, he was ten seconds behind Hamilton at the very end, mm-hmm. largely because of that. Exactly what we just talked about, using, going to the regular tire at the end. Um, time didn't time that quite right. I thought he drove really well. And I think that if Weber can have these type of performances, then he can start not only just doing better in general, but also getting inside Vettel's head is, you know, you aren't untouchable. You are susceptible to your teammate. You do have to worry about that. Then I think Weber can just in general, um, you know, just kind of increase his stature in the team and, and just continue to do better. And I think a point you made that was uh, very true is let's not forget that he's second in the championship here. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought his performance was quite good, despite the fact that he only ended up being third. Um, he was third behind a resurgent Ferrari with an incredibly good and focused Alonso and at just insanely good Hamilton. So this drive of his, even though it wasn't a win, was still an incredibly good drive to be competing with two such world-class guys, both in, you know, doing well in the zone, you could say, mm-hmm. of their drives. I think Weber should be very proud of his performance. Yeah. And, you know, what's a big points gap now, I mean, as we talked about with, uh, Jensen Button's run with the Braun team where it was it was like how can this guy not win the championship right, right up until England at which point it was like okay wow there this this car isn't untouchable maybe there are some cases where it doesn't work and uh, and then you know it ended up coming down to a really really close fight at the end of the year as we have you know seen for the last last several years um and you know we're one race away from that um, of course that was that was one race ago but you know where you know it's possible and, and I don't really I don't really think it'll be the case but you know it, it's it's possible you know Vettel has not won two races in a row, which is funny that <laughs> that that's a that that's a even something to talk about. Oh, but, that's that's funny. But yeah. that uh, you know that Mark's points, though Mark Weber's points, really could matter, um, and you know well, that all these points matter, um, and and that you know as it's always said, you know that these points matter just as much as his ones at the last race of the season. So. Yeah, I think you know it's a it's a wake up call or, or not even you know, but it, it's a it's a reminder to Vettel um, that hey, your teammate actually you know beats you sometimes and um, outperforms you. I guess is another way to say that. Yes, and uh, we and, don't know what happens behind closed doors. Yeah, I mean, Mark is a, those guys, a big strong individual. One, one never knows, and uh, and and also to the you ex- ever notice when Vettel flinches whenever Mark's nearby? <laughs> <laughs> He's taller than me. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and then for the team, you know, that, Hey, this could come down, you know, with, with McLaren's, you know, getting back into it. And, uh, I mean, I doubt Ferrari will be in there because they really only have one Alonso driver in their team and the other driver is a bit of a Massa driver. 
So I think constructor-wise, you know, it's it's pretty much down to the McLarens. But uh, you know that hey, wait, we we also need to support Mark here because Vettel doesn't it doesn't win every time, and we do need to think about this other guy who's getting points that were worth just as much as the points that Vettel gets. Uh, well put. So uh, one quick note: uh, Button ended up not finishing the race. He had an hydraulics issue, and it is a shame. He wasn't anywhere near uh, the top three, but he was moving up. He was being smart with his tires as as well as you know Button can do. You know it was it was un uh, uncharacteristically cold. It was in the fifties there in the middle of July, which seems pretty incredible. I mean, I know it's northern Germany, but still, that's that seems awfully cold. And you know, a lot of people had tire issues. I think Button was good at holding on to those tires, making them last longer. So he was doing less less pit stops than the others. And he, I think a top five would have been possible had he been able to finish the race. But it turned out not to be the case. Button was able to get around Massa, for example. Mm-hmm. It took him a few laps to do it, but he did it. And uh, just a shame. But whatever. You know who else didn't finish the race? Nick Heidfeld. Oh boy, yeah, that's right. In spectacular fashion, had a collision with with Sebastian Buemi, and uh, I'm, so I'm curious, I guess, on on your take on this. So what happened is this is approaching the chicane, so it's the end of the back straightaway. Both cars are you know huge speed, and it's a it's one of the major uh, potential passing opportunities on the track. And so Nick Heidfeld's on the outside, and Sebastian Buemi's car is right there. And so depending on how you look at it, either Heidfeld was you know, just putting his car in the right spot where it needed to be to try to make the pass. Maybe Sebastian Buemi was just moving over to set himself up for the corner or trying to push Heidfeld off the road. But what ended up happening was just a little bit of contact um, between the wheels of the of the cars it, it, uh, with Sebastian Buemi's right rear to uh, Nick Heidfeld's. I think it was to his to his it was left rear. I think it was. I think they were like pretty much side by side. But yeah, it, or his, or it, it, it knocked his even, side even pod or something. Front of the side pod, yeah. But it it knocked his car just just wrongly, I guess, to the point where it actually kind of hit a bump up on the grass just outside the track and then kind of hit into, hit one of the signs that yeah, was right there. Yeah, kind of pulled just, a Petrov. Not, not quite, not as I'm, much air. I mean, I'd give him like a seven. A, it's like a but, Timo Glock Australia, like a Toyota situation where it's like, just go well, off the track. Well, wasn't it Petrov where he went off the road and he was like, oh, just drive on the oh, grass, the stay on. To, yeah, and, yeah. I, and they just got massive air. And, yeah, so there's just this little bit of bump off the track. So it ended up, th- I mean, bits of the car flying everywhere. I mean, uh, it looks you know, great in slow motion, <laughs> has to be said. Yeah, uh, flying through, you know, it threw the gravel trap and it's kicking up gravel everywhere and all that. And then, of course, uh, as Heidfeld slides to a stop, he's like gesturing at Buemi, like, ah, oh, what are you doing? Yeah. Which, like at that point, come on, dude. Like, like he's even has any knowledge of where your car is anymore. Like he's on his way through the chicane and, and going on with his life. But, um, so, in your opinion, though, is that Buemi's fault, uh, Heidfeld's fault, racing incident? My you... first, my very first reaction was Buemi turned turned on Heidfeld. However, we ended up seeing that replay two or three times. And it, I have to say that Buemi did seem to just be very slowly, very deliberately, beginning when Heidfeld was way behind, drifting over to that side of the track to take a corner. And what makes it difficult was that Heidfeld's closing speed was pretty darn high. Mm -hmm. So given the way things happened, Heidfeld never had the corner until it was too late. And he was trying the outside, not the inside. But given the closing speeds, I'm not sure if he would have been able to do anything other than 
slam on the brakes or try to continue to go on the outside. Right, because what are the two things that could have happened differently to avoid the incident, right? Is either Buemi would have said, oh, there's a car here, I'm going to give him room, but that's a car trying to pass me, so why would he give him room? Well, he know? should give him some if he really if he really had the corner. If, if, if Heidenfeld had earned a place in the corner-by-corner corner entry, then he has to give him some right, room. Right, which, I, which I, I don't think he had. I, don't, I think we can, we can sort of look at that I, um, and say, you know, he wasn't ahead. If anything, he was maybe even with the car, but he wasn't ahead. And, uh, you know, or Heidfeld could have looked at the situation and said, hey, he's, he's moving over. I need to be careful about my position here. Um, he's pr- I mean, I don't expect him to know the condition of the, of the grass just outside the racetrack to think, oh, there's a big bump there, so I need to avoid that. And, of course, if, he knew, if he'd known that, then, uh, you know, he would, have, he would have backed off. So that's the other question was if Heidfeld could have backed off quick enough, and what you say there's even a question of if he could have backed off quick yeah. enough to, to avoid that. Um, but the stewards decided that it was Buemi's fault, and uh, he has a five-place uh, grid penalty for Hungary. No kidding. No kidding. No kidding. I would not have expected that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, was, I was going to close by saying that, in my opinion, was a racing incident in its truest form. Where oh, well, I stole the wind out of your sails. That's then. interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, like I said, my initial impression was that Buemi moved over on Heidfeld. But I think it is a little unfair because I, I do think he was definitely heading that direction well before Heidfeld was making that move to go to the outside. But what is difficult is that Heidfeld's closing speed was very, it was a very high closing speed. And you wonder, too, I mean, with Buemi's visibility, with the way mirrors are, and, you know, he probably was aware of him going down the straight and says, okay, he's way back there. I can see him in my mirror and he's, there's a car there. But then once he's starting to think about the chicane, it's a lot harder to also focus on, well, what's going on behind me and may not have been aware that, you know, he was he, he would have gotten so close to him so quickly and was just going on his way. But obviously the uh, the stewards decided what they decided. So huh. um, Buemi will have to contend with that in Hungary. Um, another just a couple notes from the back end of the field. Uh, Daniel Ricardo, uh, it was a it was an. Uh, was qualified last, um, but then there were other guys that had penalties um, that ended up starting later. So uh, Ricardo was was 22nd on the grid um, and uh, was only four-tenths off of his teammate, though. So for his second Grand Prix and qualifying situation, I think that's a, that's a solid step forward for him, and I think he was happy with it. And with the other retirements and stuff in the race, I mean, Daniel Ricardo did go on to finish the race. Um, he was three laps down and... Uh, with uh, with 57 total laps, but it was in 19th spot because he was he was legitimately ahead of Karen Chandok on track. Yeah, Hen- Chandok was four laps down at the end, I believe. Yep, and uh, and then there were four cars that were out. So uh, that that's another. I mean, that's that's all you can sort of expect, and it's it's a good performance for him to uh, to hold on and stay in the race and and stay solid. And uh, you know, there were uh, two other cars that were also three laps down. So he was on the same lap as Timo Glock in the Virgin and uh, Jerome D'Ambrogio in the other Virgin. So, um, you know, that's that's solid, solid stuff for the young Aussie. He's, uh, you know, coming together well as maybe the replacement uh, teammate for Sebastian Vettel in Red Bull. Well, well, well. He's coming along. I guess, I mean, I'm not a betting man myself, that it's time for listener feedback. I think we could do that. Okay, sweet. Okay, so it's listener feedback time, and I have news for you. Did you sweet. Know, did you know that we are at war right now? I did not. Right. Well, I didn't even bring my uniform. Somehow, 
Um, we, uh, Twitter has gotten us your uniform. Uh, someone who's apparently named Merkin Muffley. Um, what? Has, That's not a real name. Has gotten us involved in a flame war, minus the F, so it's what? a lame war. What is a flame war? It's like an internet thing where you just throw insults back and, back and forth. You're flaming each other, and it's like, oh, it's oh, a war. That means something else from my neighborhood. Well, right. But um, I'm going to flame war. I'm going to throw fags at the flame war. Oh, boy. Well, uh, so, I'm sorry. That I'm assuming this is a UK-based uh you know, saying right. So, um, so he's so Merkin is is trying to start start something between us and side podcast. Full name one more time: Merkin Muffley. <laughs> yeah, okay, I don't know uh, who knows. Right. Uh, so he says you should start a lame war with the, you know he's saying you know some people do call me Sam Scone. Two, two side podcast um, says oh you should start a lame war with the F one show podcast Americans across the pond who left F one and button fans and then and then side podcast is like. Oh, cool! I'll listen to their show, and that and that's great. And then he's and then they're like, "What's the best way to start a flame war?" And then the, and I'm like, "What the heck is a flame war?" <laughs> I know exactly. So, so he's trying to start stuff. <laughs> this is the worst right. flame lame war ever. Neither our podcast nor side podcast, which by the way is a brilliant sort of website and podcast and everything. I, yeah, I, I listened to their F1 minute a couple of times. It seems well, interesting. I'm, I'm in awe of how much. Uh, just time and effort they put into. They've got so many different features on their website. With, Do they with, make money? Probably. I don't know. We we should. There maybe just we should have like a flame conversation with them. Right. Be like, hey, they might be <laughs> better at everything we do than us, except being American and having Which, interesting things to say about. I F1. think we got that locked down. Right. So, uh, so the attempt to get us in, into a war with side podcast ultimately failed because I'm like. Hey, you guys have a cool podcast, and they're like, "Hey, so do you guys?" <laughs> so I'm, nerd, yeah. So sorry we couldn't uh, have more more fireworks than that, but um, uh, you know, I, I guess if anyone's not aware of side podcasts, I don't know how you would be if you follow F One Podcasts, then uh, you can check them out. Um, you know, well, don't plug them for Christ's sakes. Okay, don't check them out. Thank you. If anyone subscribes to Side Podcast, stop subscribing <laughs> to them. No, don't do it. No, I don't know. I mean, again, Neil Popham, for example, says he listens to several and he likes ours the most, which is very appreciated. We like it. So if you can like side podcasts and also like us and you have the time to listen to both of us, by all means, listen to both of us. Right. I, well, listen to both of us and decide what you want to do, because I don't want people to listen to us just because we told them not to listen to anyone else. I want them to listen to us because we have a good show and I think we have a good show. But my question is, what is Merkel Muffinry's motivation, man? Um, I don't know. Because then he says, like, oh, it's a flame war, but the Brits are too polite to spill each other's tea. And I guess we're also too polite, and, but we don't I even s- have tea. Well, I have tea all the time. Oh. I mean, we're, we're right this minute. We, I like tea. During, we there's a lot of things about England I love. I've actually tea. never been, but there's lots of England culture that I hugely appreciate. Not the least of which is their love for Formula One, which yeah. is why we're here. So... I'm confused. So we're, I've been con- so we're bad at podcast lame warring. Merkel has some answers he has to give us. What is his motivation? What is going on? Maybe he's actually a part of a third Formula One podcast, and we're like the top two is in he his that guy mind. In Scotland. That's what I'm saying. So maybe like maybe he's trying to get us to like fight each other, and he like he's going to pass us both on the inside because we're still like. In a we're, theoretical, we're so busy flaming in, exactly, each other, exactly with side podcast. <laughs> oh gosh! So anyway, that happened, um, and I hopefully that um, he got what he wanted, but probably he didn't because uh, there you go. 
Well, going back to the more traditional, lovely things about listener feedback, which is listening to our listeners, uh, we had five comments about the last show. Um, I wanted to read Bellissimo's. Uh, he wrote, I am a Tifosi, but not happy about the Alonzo win. Where have the consistency and the spirit of competition gone? Changing rules mid-season is just plain wrong. During a BBC interview, Alonzo mentioned the upgrades had made a difference which contributed to his win. Let's change the rules again and see how the Ferrari stacks up against the pre-Silverstone RB7. The only thing consistent in F1 at the moment, as far as I'm concerned, are the lap times set by the drivers. Um, Then Craig Wilson said, great podcast as usual. Like the fact it was longer. Well done reaching 1,000 members on Facebook. Cokes all around. Special thanks to the crazy Hornets. And uh, we have to say this is a good time to do it. Thanks again to Craig Wilson, who was the um, motivator of the Hornets to come check us out in the first place, which has had um, uh, lovely, lovely consequences. We've had a little bit more diversity in the conversation. And uh, it's been good. I, I, I think it's fantastic that you brought him over here. Um, we think Christian Horner is lovely in every way possible. Yeah, this has brought up on the Facebook page now some um, some interesting conversations about fan clubs and about how dreamy several members of the F1 community are. <laughs> uh, Where's the love for Martin, man? He's a good-looking guy. So apparently, yeah, Robin, speaking of things he loves about England, <laughs> add, add to the list Martin Whitmarsh. Listen, I threw that out as a lark, and I threw in Michael Gascoigne as well, who is a touch on the trollish side. I mean, I mean that with the utmost respect. He's a brilliant guy, but he's short and kind of odd-looking. You know what I mean? Like, I thought everyone's going to be like, Michael Gascoigne, no, he's not dreamy at all. But everyone was like, Martin Wismars, ew! And it was all of a sudden a bunch of fourth graders, you know, talking over bubble yum or and it, something. And it just made you love him more, didn't it? It did. It did. I just have a deep... Well, no, me and Neil Poppin are on the same page. We're like, come on, the guy's a pretty good-looking guy. That's a good-looking man. got the, like, the salt-and-pepper gray hair. That's where what it's I'm like saying. A little he's, gray he's for the trim, credibility. He's got but, style. You know, you know, and Michael Gascoigne... Like a, he's, like a Clooney thing, almost. Yeah. Michael Gascoigne's more just like a pimp. Like, he just owns who he is. He's like, yeah, I'm short, and look at this big-ass sailboat I got. What? What? <laughs> you know? I think, Is that how it goes? I think that's how it goes. All right, then. We also had a comment from Ed, who wrote, Holy cow, what's the RSS feed on your podcast? Are you guys keeping it a secret? That turned into a little bit more of a conversation. We did sort Ed out. That's Edward McNamara. And... um as a result of his inquiry, we do now, right on the homepage, very prominently have um, links to subscribe to the podcast, both RSS feed and through iTunes, which is where we've gotten a lot of our listeners as well. Yeah, so we had that on the website of several generations ago, and somehow, through my inability to use computers properly, it, it went away, and we, I guess, are way too close to this forest to see any trees and uh, right or whatever <laughs> and uh and it was it had fallen off and he brought to our attention that it had fallen off so um yes that is that is back so any new fans or friends of yours that are into f1 and you just all you have to do is is mention hey check out f1 show if you google it you'll find it or just go to f1show.com now right there in the upper right corner there are some nice bright orange links one of them subscribe with itunes for those who use itunes and for those who don't use itunes and i understand there are lots of reasons you wouldn't want to use itunes there is just the regular rss podcast feed you can click on it copy and paste 
paste it, put it into your mobile device. And actually, our website does work pretty well on smartphones. If you go to it, you can you can play the uh, you can play the shows right from there. The subscribe subscribe links and stuff will work for you, um, even on iOS devices. It's not just Flash, so it all it all works pretty well. And we encourage you to let your friends know about us. Um, and thank you, Craig Wilson, for doing so and, and getting your the whole Hornets gang involved yeah. and all that because we have passed a thousand fans on Facebook, which is like you know one of the most exciting things that has happened to our Facebook page in a very long time. And um, you know, it's just always it's always cool to just have you know more voices in the conversation and more people that are aware of the show because it, it continues to get better with your input. Absolutely, except absolutely. the one time we got into war, that was a little bit scary for me. <laughs> that was the that lame war. I didn't even have my uniform. Yeah. So I also want to thank uh, the comments we had on the most recent column I wrote. I wrote a little bit about Mark Weber's dilemma, what he should do given his circumstances. And I had seven comments, and I just wanted to give a shout-out to Deb, Neil Popham, Peter Oliver, um, and um, I guess it would be Elliot Stan. Yep. Elliot Stan, Brian Hoover, and Cam McGrath um, all had great insights and uh, good additions to the conversation that I kind of started on the column. It was a lot of fun. I really appreciated it, and I appreciate the compliments that I got and also the disagreements and conversations and debates that came about. The one kind of consistent thing that uh, was brought up as kind of a weakness of whatever that he can work on, which certainly was supported again today, is his racing starts. Yeah. And, um, you know, if he, can, if he can sort that out, that would certainly help. And I would, um, I would like to say Brian Hoover was a little bit funny. He said, Weber's on pole, so I guess that means Nicole Cert Senior's boyfriend will be leading into the first corner, which was uh, turned out to be the case. But I, I thought it was funny that it was Nicole Cert Senior's boyfriend, not Lewis Hamilton. But, yes. hey, what can you do? And the last little bit of feedback I'll mention here is the um – uh, was brought to our attention that you know Lewis Hamilton's chin strap is back. Oh, but, I know. But now this isn't, the, and it was Cam McGrath on Twitter that uh, that specifically pointed this out. Um, that uh, it's not the like super thin like pencil line thing. <laughs> okay. Which looks like it's just kind of like a like a little closer to a general scruff. Which I have to say personally, I'm a big fan of the general scruff. Like just for myself, it's it's such low maintenance that it's the way to go. Uh huh. But. Um, and and you know, so I feel like this Lewis Hamilton's current incarnation I feel better about than the like super refined like because it, it just looks like you spent so much time on it and it's like it's not just like hey you know I haven't shaved and I kind of have a little bit of a beard scruff thing going like kind of the Jensen but- button look or whatever right it's like I worked really hard on this and this is what I came up with and that is just <laughs> what I what I can't quite get down with so well, I'm okay with the Lewis like scruffy Lewis look I'm I'm fine with it's just the like really refined. But, like, how is that a good idea to spend lots of time on making that I can't believe you've work? talked this much about that. It's still pretty awful, I think. The whole – it doesn't connect weird. It's just kind of an outline <laughs> perimeter thing. And I also, I also want to give Neil Popham a shout-out because he wrote it on the Facebook page directly. So Cam gets the Twitter shout-out. Neil gets the Facebook shout-out. And uh, we had a few comments I suggested, and I, I think we should actually hold him to this. I said Hamilton may need to drink a Pepsi in shame because he had it gone. It looks great. And then, boom, it was back again. And so far, everyone Although, seems to agree with me. He's got the rhythm. He's got the best qualifying performance ever and his best race ever. So if that's what it takes, I think the I'm, only thing I'm, that would have made him faster I'm is that high to... center of gravity, ugly oh. patch on his face. All right. Well, we need to not talk about it anymore because <laughs> we're, we're just encouraging him at, the, at this point. That's true. We're egging him. We're we're flaming with Hamilton now. We're laming. If I, he had a podcast, I don't even. Yeah. That anyway. That happened. <laughs> So is, is this lame war over, or has this lame war just begun? I don't, I don't know. know. We might have made it worse. We probably did. All right. Well, let's do some trivia. Okay. Trivia. 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 Trivia.
Yes, and we have yet another great trivia question coming from yet another great fan. But first, we got to start with the answer to last week's question, which was brought to us by Leighton Brown. Uh, Jim, if you will do the honors. I will do the honors. So the question was, uh, since the current car numbering system in F1 was introduced in 1975, who was the only driver to race with the number one on his car who was not a world champion from the previous year? Uh, and the answer is John Watson, and that is in the 1985 European Grand Prix at Brands Hatch. Um, and uh, John Watson came out of retirement to sit in for Nicky Lauda, who uh, who was injured at that point and uh, and you know wasn't racing in uh, in in the McLaren. So John Watson had Nicky Lauda's number one on the car, and uh, it was he was not the champion. Yeah, a very interesting question. Thought it was great, uh, but we have a new one. This one from Tony Bird, who asks. Who starts with two unrelated drivers with the same surname won the championship in consecutive years, which drivers and which years? So you have two world champions, two years in a row, same last name, not related. Interesting. That's crazy. It is totally crazy. I didn't know that could happen. So it's like um, it's like identical twins and one's a boy, one's a girl. Apparently that's possible. No, it's not. That. that it's apparently that's possible. Someone was telling me about it. Okay, as as a twin, I know you're a twin, but <laughs> who has they're a twin saying, sister? They're saying I, I know is, how this, they're not identical if they're different genders. I agree, and I had the same conversation, and then I ended up reading a couple of medical related articles saying, you know, that <laughs> no, it the egg can split after after gender. That's great. It's odd. That has nothing to do with F1 anymore. <laughs> it does, too. It's similar to the... It, uh. Okay, well, to play along at home, you can either just know the answer and think of it in your in your head and then listen to our next episode and know if you were right or not, or if you'd like to uh, post what you think it is in comments on our page uh, at F1show.com or Facebook or Twitter, then you can do so as well. Um, but then that may spoil it for some other fans. And if you're an identical twin and your other twin is a girl and you're a boy or vice versa tell us right as prove me right i wrote i read about it yeah i think well, those I, I guess their definition of identical i think is what co- what comes into the into the question there is uh well i mean the medical the medical definition of identical which, which is, is when the, one the egg one sperm gets, split yeah versus because it they, the whole point is they can technically split before gender is just decide and one can go one way and one can go the other yeah, I'm, I guess, I'm putting my hands up, just saying I'm I'm I clearly guess, not guess, a doctor. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that identical. I at wouldn't that point, either, though. but medically they're still considered identical. Yeah, I mean maybe it's like a really manly looking chick and a really feminine looking dude. I don't know. Maybe it's just hair length, and I don't know. Okay, well, it's this is getting worse for me. The more words I say, let's talk about something. Please else. cut me off. Yes, you're done. So as we do in every show, we will try to figure out uh, who will be on pole for the next race, who will win that race, and just to see if we're any better than a very simple statistical or, strictly speaking, heuristic model, we will see how accurate would would that model have been if whoever was on pole last race is on pole again this race, and whoever won the last race goes on to win this race. And so far, we have been losing miserably. Well, not miserably, but we've been losing. Yeah, and the very simple predictor has been more accurate than us. Mostly because of Vettel and Red Bull's just ridiculous consistency so far in the season. Absolutely. And we thought this last race was going to be our lucky break because Weber and Alonso 
were pole winner, pole uh, sitter, and winner last time around, and clearly Vettel's going to immediately immediately jump back into his emerging dominance. We are going to predict as such. The statistical model can't, and we are going to climb, you know, climb, grab some of those points back. Uh, that didn't happen. Not even close. We, Jim and I, both predicted identically Vettel Vettel for the pole and the race win. The statistical model. Again, predicted Weber and Alonso. It was correct about Weber, and uh, only one off with Alonso. It scored one point. We both scored five points since Vettel was third and fourth, respectively, making it us two points and three points off for Quali and the race. So we fell yet further behind. Yeah, So and also, as uh, many of our fans are aware, on the Facebook page there is a predictions link, and uh, that's... Uh, where everyone can can join in, it's kind of a bit late in the season now. You're, you're probably going to have a very outside chance of uh, of catching up now. But we'll we'll talk about it in the off season. You can get ready for 2012. But um, currently still in the lead with only 15 points is James Payne. So My w- well word. played. He is one point better than the statistical model, which has 16 points. Uh, and then in third place is me with a big jump to 33 points. Wow. Then Craig Wilson with 41. You Robin with 44 points. And then Ken Frischnecht, Bodie Tuladar, Sean Scanlon. Beth, uh, sorry, Ben Hessenthaler and Neil Popham uh, in the top 10. So well-played uh, team computer that time. But uh, hopefully we can come up with some more brilliant insight into the world of Formula 1 racing at the Hungaro ring well, and have much more informed predictions than simply thinking that Weber will be on pole and that Hamilton will win the race. Clearly what the heuristic model does not know is that the Hungaro ring is a tight track tends to be slower slower pace, slower average speeds, and that kind of thing. And uh, certainly, one thing the statistical model definitely doesn't know is that Jensen Button had his very first race win there in 2006. I know it doesn't know that. It does not know that. That's very you true. You know that, though. And now it is your turn to impress us with your out-statistical model predictability. So that was just an in, 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 ingenious stall and, and de- deflection tactic from you to, to put it on me to predict Would you first. expect anything less? I would not. I thought you were going to actually put Jensen Button as, as, a, as a high performer there. And uh, I mean, yes, that was his first race win, but that was kind of a weird, wet, dry, kind of got lucky timing worked out well. Besides the point. But a win is a win, and that was his first race win. And that was uh, his only race win for a long time until he got into the brown car, which was magic. So... None of that is predictions for me for uh <laughs> That's also excellent ring. deflection installing. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, I, it, I have no idea. I would, well, not no idea. But, you know, I, I, I think um, that, that there's not going to be quite so much passing here that, uh, you know, probably, I, I mean, I, I feel like it's going to be Vettel again. Um, it seems like a lame prediction to make because it sort of seems like the safe route and whatever, but... I guess if I, I, I... Well, the question is, so we've now got two Ferrari performances that seem to indicate that their pace is quite close. Mm-hmm. We've also got McLaren performance that could be good, I mean, if but Lewis it's still is a magic, little less proven. Yeah, if Lewis is magic, it seems like it's, he's just really got that figured out. But, again, you know, this I, I'm not... I don't want to jump on the all of a sudden Red Bull is down in the dumps and this is the beginning of the end for them kind of bandwagon. Um so I guess I'll, it's it's weak it's it's weak sauce in my opinion in, in terms of the risk I'm taking, but I think in terms of the uh, the safe prediction, I actually am going to just put put Vettel back in both spots, man. I think, Vettel, Vettel, I think yet I think again, he's back. dude. I you have predicted Vettel, Vettel. Well, okay, you did Vettel Weber in Valencia, Vettel Vettel in Britain, Vettel Vettel in Germany, and now you want to do Vettel Vettel yes again. 
Yet again, I'm sorry. Well, I have 33 points and you have 44 points, oh, so I wow. guess you can argue Burn. with success, right? That's a lame war right there that's beginning, sir. I'll side podcast you to the freaking moon. Um, I like that uh, Neil Popham, who, who put together this predictions app for us, has listed Daniel Ricardo as someone that you could pick for pole and the win. Like, you know, obviously a late season edition. I mean, you can't pick Narain Karthikeyan, but it's, I appreciate that he, like, updated it. It's just kind of funny because I don't know that anyone's picking Daniel Ricardo for pole or win. Well, uh, certainly, but he's one of the options. Certainly not one in the top ten, and he clearly is possible he is going to be in the arena, as it were, to be on pole and to take the race win. You never know what's going to happen. So, anyway, I, for one, think that Vettel may need another race weekend, may need the summer break to kind of cool himself and recollect and, and get back on top of his form. I think he might have one more weekend ahead of himself. Because that was the problem in Germany. It was too hot. <laughs> yeah. That's good, that's good logic there, Robin. I am tempted to go against Vettel. Now. Well, good, because it's lame when we have the same prediction. The so. question is whom, because... My first indication would actually be Alonzo, but he has not scored a pole position yet this year, so I have him more likely as a race winner. So I have no idea who's going to be on pole, but I think I am going to go ahead and take Alonzo to win the race. So uh, it's, I mean, it's either it's it's Vettel, Weber, Hamilton. And like you say, probably not Alonzo. So it's really between Vettel, Hamilton, and Weber. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's not going to be Massa. It's, and it's not, not going to be, be Button. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. And I guess... And Well, I picked Vettel, and the stat model picked Weber. So if you were to put Hamilton, just to kind of be the, the trifecta there, someone, but, something's going to be... That's not, but, okay, we've had this conversation before. That's, that's, not, that's the not the purpose of predictions. It's, it's who do you actually who, think. Yeah. And the, the simple answer is I really don't know. <sighs> well, mm. there's always Ricardo. You can just <laughs> That's an excellent I mean, if point. you don't know, you could just go F it. I'm going to put Alonzo Alonzo. Ooh. I'm 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 going cuz I his his performance has been stout. The car seems to be good. The Hungaro ring is a little bit less, you know, super high speedness, aerodynamic dependent, which still tends to be Red Bull's strong point. Blah 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 blah. Alonzo Alonzo, I said it. I'm going to do it for the second time this year. It's done. A bold move, sir. I salute you. One thing. You're going down, but I salute you for going down valiantly. One thing that I think uh, would help lift my spirits from now the undoable, uh, not undoable, uh, terrible predictions I just made is taking a look at Warner Motorsports, warnermotorsports.com, and picking up some lovely F1 show apparel. It has been race proven twice over. It has been drop out of a plane proven. It is an extremely durable, extremely fashionable, extremely lovely product that I encourage everyone to take a look at. WarnerMotorsports.com. That's W-A-R-N-E-R-M-O-T-O-R-S-P-O-R-T-S.com. Wow. Yes, I spelled it out. That's a lot of letters. In it a row. is. Well, and, I mean, I'm actually happen to be wearing an F1 Show official T-shirt right now from WarnerMotorsports.com. And it's been through war. I mean, this <laughs> is true. <laughs> I 
you have been the most incredible durability engineer for me and my product. I, I appreciate it immensely. It's been it's been good. So yeah, head over to WarnerMotorsports.com. That's you know we don't we don't make any money doing this show, um, and that does actually put uh, a couple of dollars you know toward sort of towards the the podcast fund. And there's the official F1 show show shirts and other uh, and stickers and whatnot. Yep, there's stickers, um, and a couple other products, as some well. other cool you know shirts and stickers, just kind of cool you know automotive enthusiast you know petrol head gear head car guy whatever you want to call it car girl um just cool stuff for uh for everyone over there so check it out and we appreciate your support so one week's time it's a quick break um for the hungarian race um this though was a german grand prix i do want to mention that the fish and chips that we enjoyed after the english grand prix were outstanding phenomenal this is the the only time we go to that particular it's a it's like an irish place but it's as close as we can come for really really tasty fish and chips right. the only time we go there was is after the british grand prix last year and after the british grand prix this this year last week uh, but another good favorite of both of us is this german restaurant that we are about to go to after the after the show tonight so we are going to hook it up with some spotsen and some schnitzel and some kraut and whatnot and uh and properly you know german it up for our tasty uh taste of the race this week and my uh lovely wife loves this restaurant so much she might actually even join us Ooh. yeah that's a possibility it depends on timing of course she's a very busy person so uh yeah we don't want to delay that much further so you know. Well, in the meantime, visit F1Show.com, and please, we all love hearing from you guys uh, in all the various forms, and there's links to Facebook and Twitter, and you can subscribe to our show right on the website now, and uh, and then, then we'll have the uh, the break after this, and uh, it's, it's all fun from there. So we appreciate you listening, and uh, we'll speak to you again in just a week's time from Hungary. And from now, I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner, reminding you to always drive fast and take chances. Goodbye. The F1 Show is brought to you by Jim Lau and Robin Warner. Many thanks to Tony Bird for today's trivia question. Uber Danka for Spotsin and Hassenpfeffer. The F1 Show logo is designed by Genue Forma, a cutting-edge graphic design company. Check them out at genueforma.com. Today's intro music was Crooked Booty by the Dungeon Family, sung by CeeLo. Thanks, as always, to Bio Bonsai for use of their song Inspector B for our main theme music. And finally... Thank you to all of our fans for cheering us on and making us feel almost like D-list celebrities. It's awesome. 